Welcome to EPRI Unplugged, the podcast of the Electric Power Research Institute. I'm Renita Crawford. In this conversation, we're discussing advanced nuclear technologies, what innovations fall into this category and the roles they could eventually play in power generation. Here to lend their expertise are Tina Taylor, Director of Strategic Programs at EPRI's Nuclear Sector, and Andrew Souter, Principal Technical Leader for the Advanced Nuclear Program. Tina and Andrew are leading advanced nuclear research projects at EPRI and have several decades of nuclear industry experience between them. Thanks to you both for being on our podcast and welcome. Thank you, Renita. Nice to be here. Andrew, let's start with a definition. When we say advanced nuclear, what does that encompass? So the definition of advanced nuclear really lies in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, but f- from my perspective, I tend to look at this as a technology that's currently not operating today or not available today to, to purchase. However, you know this can include technologies like those that are currently being constructed in Georgia, South Carolina, and in China, the AP, the Westinghouse AP-1000s, which are advanced light water reactor technologies that are offer passive safety. Those will be operating within the year, likely in China, for example. So those are near-term technologies. And then we have uh, the longer-term technologies uh, like sodium fast reactors and high-temperature gas reactors, for example, which in spite of the fact that they're considered advanced, have been operated in the past and in many cases are actually operating today somewhere in the world, but not with all the, the features and characteristics that we would want maybe in a more advanced advanced reactor. It's a very good explanation. You know, there are a range of technologies that fit under the advanced nuclear umbrella. If we consider them in terms of technology readiness levels, which are closer to deployment? Well, one place to look is what has already been operated, and often, you know, the perception by many is that these things are, are far off and um, and would take a long time to deploy. In fact, there are um, many examples of these technologies that are currently running, including uh, what are called sodium-cooled fast reactors. Uh, these have been operated in Russia, for example, on an industrial scale since the 70s. Um, and then uh, gas reactors have been operated uh, at a commercial scale and are operating in the UK and originally in France. So I think if you look to what has already been, um, the past is prologue, what has already been operated, are, these are probably the ones that are maybe a little bit more commercial and there's more advanced versions of these that are that are being developed. Well, Tina, I want to pull you into the conversation. Now, let's talk a little bit about SMRs. Where do they fit in? Well, SMRs are um, considered by some to be in this, this category of advanced reactors and considered by others to be closer to the category of existing reactors. There was a big milestone earlier this month when uh, NuScale submitted their design certification to the NRC for their small modular reactor design. Um, many are viewing this as like a bridging technology between the current light water reactors and the future advanced reactors. Um, So the SMRs will add to the portfolio of options that nuclear operators have to choose from and will actually set the stage for the development of these advanced reactors by uh, moving to this uh, manufactured approach to building power plants. So many of the advanced reactors that Andrew was mentioning will uh, are currently planning to make use of this smaller modular factory built approach as well. Obviously, R&D is extremely important. What space are we currently in right now? 
Well, there's a lot of R&D going on um, by different types of entities in this space. So there's 40-plus um, commercial companies who are developing various designs, various combinations of fuels and cooling, cooling choices for these reactors. They are all engaged in their own R&D specific to their design, optimizing um, what those designs will be. Uh, the Department of Energy um, and other government organizations are doing uh, research that's intended to lay foundation that can be used by all of these or many of these technologies. These are things like uh, facilities that will be needed for testing and demonstration, modeling and simulation tools that all, everyone can use. And then EPRI is involved in, as well, more from the perspective of bringing into the picture the uh, needs and desires of the utility side of the industry. You know, as we look to what role EPRI can play in, in this advanced reactor arena, um, one thing we uh, we look to is also what, what we have, have done in the past and also what is our unique position and, and value that we bring. Uh, and that is really bringing the, the end customer, the end user of the technology, the utilities and possibly in the future other owner-operators, and uh, understanding and conveying what their expectations and needs are for the technology and uh, linking those up with the technology developers and vendors. Uh, and this was a role we played actually historically in the development of the advanced light water reactors that are now um, being built again in the U.S. and in China and, and elsewhere in, in the future. Beyond that, you know, EPRI can also step in and, and support common need R&D that individually these developers may not be able to support, uh, but certainly EPRI can do collectively, and, and this is in the area of, again, tool code modeling simulation tool development, uh, materials development, and also even um, other targeted technologies like advanced manufacturing methods that are be, that will be vital for really making some of these technologies commercially and economically competitive. Okay, so lots of players and a lot more research and development that's needed. Earlier this week, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Shane Johnson from DOE's Office of Nuclear Energy to talk about R&D. Let's listen to some of that conversation. And then, Tina and Andrew, I want to come back to you to continue our conversation. Well, joining us now is Shane Johnson. Mr. Johnson serves as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Nuclear Technology Demonstration and Deployment in the Office of Nuclear Energy, where he is responsible for the office's competitive research and infrastructure development programs, advanced modeling and simulation programs, and the nuclear science user facilities. Welcome, Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Renita. Thanks for having me today. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to have you here. Um, I'd like to start by asking, why does the Department of Energy see pursuing advanced nuclear technology as a priority, and why is DOE investing? Well, Renita, the Department Department of Energy has been pursuing nuclear technology since its beginning, uh, back in the days of the Atomic Energy Commission. The advanced nuclear technologies that we are currently supporting are just a continuation of the evolution and the development of nuclear energy technologies in this country. As you know, the commercial nuclear power plants that are in operation across our country today are based on light water reactor technology. And while we have had some earlier forays into advanced technologies such as uh, sodium cooled fast reactor technology. Uh, 
what differentiates today versus the past when the department was working advanced reactors is the commercial nuclear industry's interest in advanced reactor technologies. Today, we there are several companies who are all independently pursuing these advanced technologies, independent of anything the department is doing. So we see ourselves in a different role today. That is, in the past, the Department of Energy actually was doing the pool on the technology and trying to get the industry to come behind us and pick up the technology for eventual deployment uh, for commercial purposes. Today, it's a little different. We've got the private sector stepping forward with different ideas on advanced reactors, and they're simply asking the department, can you help us? Our national laboratories are huge national assets of people, experimental capabilities, modeling and simulation capabilities. And what we're trying to do is to come behind the private sector and say, we have these assets in our national labs, we have these funded programs that we are pursuing, how can we use those to help you? How can we, the government, come behind you and support you in your pursuit of advanced nuclear technologies? I see. So why the role reversal? Why do we see this shift now with the industry wanting to take the lead? I think what we're seeing is that nuclear technology is seen as having huge commercial impact. With the concern over climate change and energy production in that particular nexus, there is seen in nuclear technology the potential to have a positive impact on the environment from the energy production point of view. So as the country moves away from you know, carbon-intensive electricity production uh, technologies, nuclear is an extremely viable technology to, that can produce power reliably, economically. And I believe the private sector sees nuclear technology as a way to step in and fill the gap on clean energy. Well, you know, there are some who may say, well, we've been here before. Why is this different? What has changed? Well, Renil, as I said, the biggest change, I believe, is the industry pool. That industry is out front wanting to pursue advanced nuclear technologies and the government's willingness to allow the industry to lead where the technology development needs to go. Okay. Recently, legislation uh, passed the House boosting new nuclear technology. If you could, share your thoughts on what this means. I mean, is this a clear roadmap to where government support is heading for advanced nuclear technologies? The recently passed legislation is great news, and it continues a positive support that we've seen from the Congress over the last several years in terms of new nuclear technology and, and the commercial application of nuclear technology. We've, the Department of Energy has been fortunate to have good support from the Congress over the last 15 years. So this is, the new legislation will enable us to move forward, work even closer with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which is something that we have been and continue to do uh, for some period of time now. 
But the new legislation is, a, I think, a very positive thing that, that will reemphasize to the private sector that the government is committed to pursuing a nuclear agenda for the future. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. According to the World Nuclear Association, the nuclear power industry has been developing and improving reactor technology for more than five decades, and it's starting to build the next generation of nuclear power reactors. Can we talk a little bit about Gen 3 and maybe Gen 4? What's, what does that look like? What does that future look like? Well, the next generation of commercial nuclear power in this country is underway with the building of the Westinghouse AP-1000s at Vogel and Summer. Those are a direct result of the Department of Energy's Nuclear Power 2010 program. Uh, back from about, again, about 15 years ago, we undertook the Nuclear Power 2010 program, working again with industry. Uh, we, industry identified the two reactor technologies that they had the most interest in. And one was the Westinghouse AP-1000, the other was the General Electric ESBWR. So the federal government partnered with Westinghouse and GE to take their designs and take them through the NRC regulatory process, which has ultimately ended with design certification of those designs and con combined construction and operating license for several sites, including the Vogel and Summer sites, where we see those four AP-1000 units. Now, those are typically considered Generation 3+. plus. They take the improvements of the Generation 3 reactors that, for example, are under, under construction and in operation in Japan and take those a step further in terms of the introduction of passive safety systems, which will allow those facilities to increase the, the safety uh, of the nuclear power plant. So the Generation 4 advanced reactors that the private sector is currently pursuing span a range of technologies. Our existing fleet is based us on light water reactor technology. The Generation 4, the next generation advanced reactor systems, have differing cooling and moderating technologies. Some are based on high temperature gas, some are based on molten salts, others are based on sodium or lead cooled fast reactor technologies. So again, there's a broad spectrum of companies out there pursuing these advanced reactors and each one has a different take on the particular technology or the application of that technology that differentiates them. It's a really an exciting time in the advanced reactor world. These are really conceptual designs right now, right? How far are we in the planning stages? And, and certainly implementation, I imagine, is going to be decades away, possibly. Quite so. The, the technologies differ. Uh, some are very conceptual. For example, the molten salt reactors are probably more conceptual than the sodium-cooled fast reactor technologies. The U.S. has had a couple sodium-cooled fast reactors built and operated by the government in, as part of a, a technology development that was going to ultimately lead to the commercialization of sodium-cooled fast reactor technology. So the, that particular technology is somewhat more 
advanced in terms of design and just the knowledge base necessary to commercially deploy that technology. The high temperature gas, again, there's been a lot of work done through that program with what used to be called the Next Generation Nuclear Plant or the NGNP program that the government uh, sponsored and, and worked with industry uh, to pursue high temperature gas reactor technology. So again, it's that technology is not quite as advanced as the sodium reactor, but more so than the molten salt. But again, there we have companies who are interested in all three technologies, who are investing their own money in those technologies. So it's actually a very exciting time that we're, again, the government is not providing the technology pool, but providing support and helping these companies take these particular technologies in the direction they believe they need to go. And EPRI is certainly going to be involved in the research and development and supporting these uh, new uh, nuclear technologies. Um, I guess if you had to sum it up, um, the future of advanced nuclear in the U.S., what would you say? It looks very promising. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Johnson, for joining us. Thank you. And again, that was an earlier conversation with Mr. Johnson. I want to come back to uh, to you, Tina, and talk a little bit about your thoughts on his comments regarding uh, industry now actively taking the lead on advanced nuclear R&D. Yes. Uh, well, we have been working closely with DOE in this space over the last year. In fact, uh, earlier this week, we uh, co-hosted a workshop with them diving into the modeling and simulation needs that these companies will have. Um, so I completely agree with Shane's uh, comments about industry kind of taking a pull approach on this right now or a push approach. I'm not sure which one he said. Um, and um, so when we think of industry, I'm going to divide that into kind of two groups. So the first group being these um, reactor design co- companies, um, very, very vibrant community. It's a fun place to be um, involved in conversations with these people. It's kind of a mix of visionaries who want to change the world, some of the most brilliant scientists, and a lot of uh, uh, young people coming out of school with a real belief that these technologies can truly change the world. So that group is, uh, I think, seeding the innovative aspects of what's going on in this space right now. Many companies trying different designs, some of them will fail, some of them will succeed. Um, And that's an environment we really haven't seen in the nuclear industry, at least in my lifetime. The other part of the industry is the people who will eventually be owners and operators of these reactors. And I would say in the past, they have largely viewed this as far off in the future and, um, you know, something a little bit over their horizon, maybe. But in the last couple of years, we've seen many of the traditional utilities and some utilities who currently don't operate nuclear coming to the table with us um, to find out about these technologies, to find what they can do to seed the innovation, and um, to work alongside the development of these approaches so that the eventual designs and, and uh, plants will be something that they can own and, and operate um, and look to those advantages. So it's a great time with the intersection of these two two groups of people who can really make something happen. One example of um, all of these entities coming together would be um, an effort that the DOE has sponsored to fund further development of two technologies um, in conjunction with utilities and EPRI. One of those projects uh, we're involved in 
with Southern Company. And Andrew, you want to maybe dive a little bit more into what we're looking at there? Right. Thanks, Tina. Uh, so, so the one the one technology actually that that Southern Company um, is, is championing and is uh, and working with uh, TerraPower, uh, one of the the developing uh, organizations, is a, a molten chloride fast reactor. And so this is a, a one of those technologies that Shane re- referenced that was earlier in its uh, technology um, readiness, if you will, uh, its maturity. And so uh, really, uh, Southern Company is is taking the lead in terms of thinking outside the box and really kind of swinging for the stands, if you will, with this what could be a disruptive technology. And the reason is because of some of the compelling features that come with this new concept which actually is based on a, an old technology from the 1960s that was demonstrated. And this is where the, f- the fuel, instead of being solid in most reactors, and that's how you want it to stay, uh, is actually dissolved in the, in the coolant and circulates throughout the reactor. And that may sound disastrous and uh, far-fetched. Uh, there are actually many benefits, and in fact, especially in terms of safety, in terms of the way the reactor operates. Uh, at low pressures, and inherently having the fuel dissolved means you can also remove it from the reactor quickly and safely uh, to cool it and keep it from going critical when you don't want it to go critical. So that's one example where a southern company has really stepped into the forefront to actually lead one of these projects rather than leaving it just to a developer to uh, go it alone. This is really exciting uh, technology, exciting research. What do you think will be the key to seeing more of these advanced technologies deployed and adopted? Yeah, that, that's one of the pitfalls of uh, really neat whiz-bang things for the future is uh, there can be a lot of design that is um, elegant in its own regard, but it won't matter at all unless it's actually used I think I mentioned earlier that the industry currently has a really good portfolio of options uh, with the advanced reactor designs that already exist um, with light water technologies. We have large reactors. We'll have small reactors with the advent of SMRs. We have PWRs and BWRs, all of which could be built um, if a utility decided to. So for anything to make a breakthrough, it's going to have to have some significant advantages over the current technologies. Many of the designs that people are talking about today seem to have some of those advantages. Um, Some of the designs can operate at low pressures, which would mean a drastic change in the amount of material you have to put into the plant. Um, There's some inherent safety features that could remove systems that we currently have in the plant. And some could operate at uh, very high temperatures, which would be um, valuable if we want to integrate nuclear plants closely with other processes. And I know, Andrew, you've been thinking a lot about that and about flexibility. Uh, One of the the rules or thoughts about these new technologies is that they're not your grandfather's nuclear plant, and they're going to need to compete in in new markets and new ways. One of the ways that these new technologies can really play a new role uh, moving forward is in terms of how they're operated, they're deployed, and what products they can produce other than possibly electricity, which will allow them to play a greater role in future markets. They have uh, new new competition. So the, the, the technology is going to have to offer something that's compelling uh, to a utility or other customer uh, to take a risk on them. By As Tina mentioned, by 
uh, operating at lower pressures, for example, and higher temperatures, you get both a safety benefit as well as uh, you get uh, greater access to new markets and higher efficiencies. Um, things that traditionally fossil can now compete uh, nuclear on um, in terms of going to higher temperatures. So a lot of different options and different paths to get there. Tina, is this really going to happen? I believe it is. I can't predict exactly which one or more of these technologies will come to uh, commercial fruition. But, you know, it's really exciting to see so many different people starting different approaches to tackling this problem. And there's uh, certainly a great combination of the will of many types of entities right now. Um, the technologies are receiving, um, you know, good congressional support in the U.S., um, international support from many governments. You heard the DOE is uh, heavily engaged in this, and we see industry coming to the table. So I really do think we're going to see some of these operating. Yeah, and to go further, uh, when I'm asked this question, you know, uh, I usually put it this way. It's it's no longer a question of if. It's, it's more of when and by whom, because even today we see, if we look abroad uh, in China and in Russia, plants are being built and operated that you would consider to fall under this advanced reactor category. Also, the question of, you know, which technologies and will they really happen is really a country and a market-specific question because there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. For example, in the U.S., you know, these decisions will likely be driven by market forces and in terms of economic competitiveness. And so what works in one area, even within one market, may not apply elsewhere. So it's, it's easy to draw broad conclusions, but there is no one-size-fits-all solution here. And it really depends on what conditions uh, a, a country or a specific utility or a market that, that is really driving the need. Well, this has been a great conversation. It's certainly going to be exciting to see what the future holds. So thank you, Tina. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I appreciate your time and your thoughts on this topic and what it means for the future of advanced nuclear. And of course, a special thank you to Shane Johnson for his time as well. And until next time, we're shaping the future of electricity. <laughs>